So welcome, Vedant. Good to have you here. Figure we can Brad. start a little bit for uh, with a little intro. Uh, tell a little bit about yourself. So, sure. So I'm Vedant. I'm the founder and CEO of Allo VR. But that's just one title. I'd like to hopefully someday be known as like a multi hyphenate. You know, where you have like different hyphens after your title. Um, Vedant hyphen friend hyphen good family member hyphen community member. But uh, my main passion right now is Allo VR. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm an engineer and like there's, there's some people in the industry that have like a thousand letters after their name. You know what I mean? Right. But like, you know, and then you get on LinkedIn and there's like PhD, PE, something, 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 something. And I'm like, well, what happened, man? I feel like your name is, you know, you're losing you're losing the the meaning of your name, right? Because it's like, yeah, it's an important when there's an thing. alphabet soup after exactly, know? exactly. But but I like it, friend. Those are more important things, right? In life, absolutely, definitely, definitely. And uh, yeah, say if you want talk, maybe explain a little bit about LOVR, sort of you know what it's about, what what your goals are. So for sure, so. LOVR, our mission is to serve students. Uh, mainly students of disadvantage through mindfulness building virtual reality experiences that are culturally relevant and trauma informed and also non addictive or uh, ethical in that sense. Hmm. Interesting. And so, how'd you end up with VR as a remedy for that, right? Yeah, great this question. Maybe a big so, question. So, is that yeah, <laughs> that's a big one off the top. Yeah. So, there's a couple of reasons. So I, I worked as an educator and um, basically it was a title one school. So 99.9% mm -hmm. .9 free and reduced lunch or, you know, students struggling with uh, factors of poverty. And I was realizing one of the, the main challenges they faced was there wasn't enough access to mental health resources. So I wanted to figure out a way to serve them in that way, because also, and we can talk about this more later, but a passion mm -hmm. in my personal life is mindfulness and meditation, yoga, that sort of thing. We'll definitely get to that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I wanted to bring mindfulness in some way to my students. I was a sixth grade English teacher, but you know, teachers are kind of uh, expected to, to be a lot of things for students. Um, again, multi-hyphenates, if you will. You, you have to be kind of their parent in some ways, um, their psychologist in some ways, if you want to be a truly effective teacher. And I wanted to serve them with more mental health resources. And the whole mindfulness thing, I tried to bring to them. The issue is, again, I was a sixth grade teacher, students 10 to 12, it's tough to tell kids to just kind of sit down and meditate, right? Like us adults have trouble with meditating for 20 minutes right off the bat, right? So there, there was a disconnect there and I wanted to make it more engaging. So to bring it back to the original question, that's why I, I brought virtual reality in because I wanted to sort of gamify mindfulness. I wanted to sort of make it more fun and immersive. But also I saw there was a lot of research behind VR boosting mental health and amplifying mental health 
at a sort of faster rate, if you will, than just regular uh, meditation or mindfulness, um, if if in a vacuum. Yeah, if you don't mind me saying, right? Like when I think about uh, mindfulness, I think about you know being in the present moment. So when yep. I first, when you first explained this to me, I was like, well, but VR, I feel like you're not in the present moment, right? So like, how do you connect the two? And or, I, I hadn't read the research, so that's why I'm curious. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I'm glad you asked this because interestingly, VR kind of tricks your brain into being in the present moment in whatever the environment is that VR, hmm. the VR game is presenting to you. So definitely mindfulness is about noticing. It's about having empathy for yourself. It's about being in the present moment. But sometimes your present moment, your present situation can be really challenging. Let's say you're a student at a school and you're in this situation with bullies or you're, you really, this one teacher really bugs you or you're having a rough time at home. And so you're, your current moments, your current situations, you need some sort of mental health break from that. Then VR is very effective at tricking yourself into kind of finding that peace for that small moment of time. But I'll give you an example of some research that kind of first got me on my journey researching VR. But basically, it was a uh, Radio Lab podcast. And what they're researching is like how VR can help for therapy. And all it did was it, it brought users to a sort of empty blank room. And then you had a sort of like Sig Sigmund Freud type figure across from you. This is in the game. Then hmm. you're just supposed to tell the Freud figure like your problems or your challenges that you're facing in your life. Simple enough. Sure, sure. But, yeah, but then interestingly, the game switches your perspective all the way into the Freud figure's perspective and suddenly you're watching yourself. Then you watch yourself, low resolution, you just watch yourself reciting your own problems. And the thing is, is that it humanizes yourself because we're actually great at caring for other people and caring for our friends and family and everything. But we have the most criticism and hate for ourselves sometimes. And sometimes that self-love aspect is really challenging for people. So in this study, the person, the user would watch themselves explain their problems and then reply with advice for yourself as the Freud figure. Then it would switch you back again, back the other way until you're yourself again or your own video game character. And then you would hear your own advice. And so it helps people kind of treat themselves like their best friend as uh, in a way, instead of being so critical and helped shake up the normal neuro pathways, uh, if you will, kind of shake up the snow globe of the mind so you could have more empathy for yourself. And all of this was in a very graphically simple, um, low poly, as they would call it. So like the graphics were very um, kind of uh, rudimentary. But they saw incredible, incredible uh, data from it, positive data, because people were gaining more empathy for themselves in this certain environment, which would not have been um, even possible in a regular therapist's office, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I feel like, you know, disassociating, right? I, I guess to not get too complicated, I guess to to realize that there's like your thoughts and there's the, what you, you know, the stories in your head and then there's yep. like your actual self, right? So, and it to really grasp that idea is a difficult thing. So this, you know, being able to visualize it in, in 3D, right? In, in, in like a VR situation for somebody that isn't, I don't know, you know, as much into, I don't know, I mean, you know, you and I, we read maybe some esoteric things, right? And like have, are inclined to that, but maybe somebody that isn't so, uh, so much uh, inclined towards that, then they would never be exposed to it, right? So, and you know, there's people that live their entire lives never really realizing that, you know, there's like, uh, there's the ego and then there's you, right? There's your, your, your real self, right? So, so that's interesting that they, yeah, and you can sort of, uh, you know, expedite that process of realization. That's interesting that they did that. I'm assuming this is like a university study. Yeah, yeah. So it was a university study, but covered by the podcast Radio Lab. Mm -hmm. And well, and I and I also do want to stress, like, there's no the goal, at least with my company, it's not to replace a therapist. It's not right. to replace regular real life meditation. Talk therapy is amazing. Meditation is amazing as it is mm -hmm. in the real world. But what we'd like to do is be another tool in, in the tool belt of a teacher or a counselor in a school environment that can often be uh, unpredictable. It can be a little bit crazy, right? It's well, kind of hard to find a peaceful meditation spot at school or it's hard to get true in-depth therapy at a school. Right. So yeah, not to mention the fact that, you know, there's I mean, how many, how many kids were at your school. Right. And there's only probably one therapist or, or what do you call those? Uh, um, counselors. Counselors. Thank you. Yeah. There's probably just yeah. one counselor for how many kids. Right. So they can only get to, you. so you, I guess it's just one more resource, right. That they can, they can have. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the big value adds that I see from VR is kind of like supporting counselors that are overworked so like according to like it's like the national counselor administration or something the recommended counselor to student ratio is one to 250 but on average in schools it's one to 415 so one counselor to 415 students and a lot of students don't even know they can go to counselors with problems because of this because when they go to the counselor, the counselor only has time for like, you know, figuring, figuring out your schedule or making sure you're on pace to graduate. But there's so much more to learning. There's so much more to social emotional learning than that. And I see future schools as social emotional learning, learning about social emotional regulation, that being just as important as reading or math. And that helps kids in all walks of their life, including their careers. Yeah. It sort of makes me think, you know, when I was a kid, I went to a Montessori school. That was sort of part of growing up, right? There was like these activities that wasn't just like sitting at a desk, uh, writing or, you know, doing math or something like that at, at the age of 12. Right. Right. I was doing other things as well. They're sort of hands-on. And I feel like it's maybe, especially even at the younger, younger ages, that's very important, right? To like, not just be sitting trying to consume information, but also just like explore your surroundings and stuff. So, so I definitely, yeah. 
definitely find value to that. And especially nowadays, I feel like, um, you know, there now we have sort of the, both parents that are working. And so then yeah. you have kids that are going to school and like school is like where they're learning a lot of stuff. Right. So it's like you, the experience needs to be more holistic and more holistic than before. I feel. So, yeah. Especially when, uh, we're, we have students who are going to enter a job climate where they're going to have to like compete with AI potentially there, there's going to be so many more new challenges to where the same like rows of desks and facing the teacher and memorizing facts from the teacher that isn't relevant anymore. That was relevant maybe during the industrial revolution, mm -hmm. but now we're, we're moving into a different age where we have to prepare students for the, the new challenges coming ahead. And social emotional learning is uh, one thing that, you know, can help students face the traumas of climate change or face the traumas of day-to-day -day life. You know, it, it's kind of a, a tool that helps you face a lot of a variety of different challenges in life, but also, you know, it helps you in like a business board meeting. You know, I, I've found as a founder, as an entrepreneur, what's a lot more important than content or the textbook sort of education is just interpersonal um, sort of learning how to talk to people, learning how to listen, learning how to make connections. All of that has been a lot more important for my business than like learning, you know, what mm -hmm. different business terms or how to do advanced calculus, you know, <laughs> those are always things you can figure out through YouTube later, but the social emotional, the interpersonal mm -hmm. kind of, uh, things that that's tougher, a little bit tougher to learn. Yeah. I think, uh, after leaving university, you realize how little your professors know, you know, or like yeah. if you ever taken a business class, you sort of think like, oh, have these guys even tried to start their own business? Maybe not, you know, or maybe they have, you know, I don't you know, assume, but, but uh, but who knows, right. But a lot of them haven't actually, they're just like in academia their entire lives and then they, they, ne they don't go out into the world. And like you're saying, you know, not, it's like you take, I don't know, a history class and I'm obviously it's very important to know your history, but um, at the same time, you can sort of Google that now, right? Or right. if you, you know, get on chat GPT and just like, hey, write me a, um, I don't know, write me a two page essay about the American, Mexican, American war or something, you know, I don't yeah. know. So, uh, so it's, it's definitely changing the, the, the paradigm there and, 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 right. and, you know, really like you're saying is, you know what they say, like they say, uh, your net worth is your network. So, uh, you know, having that capacity to meet people and, and, um, you know, I guess the social skills and other things that they don't really, uh, put as much importance in. Uh, are are important and are definitely um, I think more and more important now than before. So yeah, and and if you take it kind of in the other direction, like what is what happens when you don't have social emotional skills, or if you don't really have kind of that peace of mind or good mental health? Studies show that. Um, symptoms of trauma or poor mental health can lead to higher rates of incarceration. They obviously lead to lower grades. Mm -hmm. uh, they lead to poor or physical health, the whole mind body connection, of course, 
Uh, it's hyper related. And so a lot of these kind of macro big problems that we have in society today, you can kind of trace, trace back to child trauma or tra child abuse, mm -hmm. cycles of abuse, cycles of poverty. It's all kind of interrelated there. Definitely. I think it's important for everybody to sort of look back and reflect as to what may have, you know, different uh, key factors that may have formed their sense of self and, you know, and there's, um, I guess their personality, if anything. So, and, and really evaluate that. And then, you know, if there's something you want to address, uh, you can address it. Right. And, and obviously always from the lens lens of like, Hey, you know, never, uh, like a self-loathing aspect, right? Like you, right. you were saying, right? Like worthiness, right? I feel like it's so easy. Uh, I think you actually just said it, that it's, that we're our worst critics, right? Like it's, 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 it's something that that's difficult to, to even realize that, that everybody has their inner critic and, and, um, that actually leads me to my, to a question. Is like, sure. was, was there anything when you were first getting started with LLBR that like, that you, you thought maybe, oh, I'm, you know, were there any thoughts of like, oh, I can't do this or I, I I'm not uh, capable or, or, or what have you? Yeah, hundred percent. So I, so I, I, for my undergrad, I studied anthropology and journalism. Right. And then for my master's, I studied uh, education. And so none of those really intersect with business, but journalism and anthropology especially are all about asking questions. It's about curiosity. It's about learning about the world. So though I didn't know, you know, how to even do, you know, like a QuickBooks uh, bookkeeping spreadsheet to keep track of things for my business yet. I knew how to ask questions. I knew how to be curious. And a lot of times making business questions, um, well, they have a saying, it's like you ask for advice first and then you ask for money later. And so a lot of, I found some incredible mentors, investors, just by asking questions, just by being curious about their lives, just by trying to figure out what mistakes they've learned from, uh, but also base things like what, what brings them joy, different things like that, being curious about the world. And then I started to gain more confidence in, in things I, I didn't know how to do, you know, and sometimes learning from my own mistakes, but over time, and I, and I owe a lot to like close friends and mentors that support, but over time, I kind of um, sort of patched together what I would say is like probably an undergrad business degree in terms of what I've learned so far through books, people, mistakes, all those things. Yeah. I think it's important to always push your boundaries. Right. And, and I think something that, that, uh, isn't taught in school is the fact that, Hey, you know, you're going to be learning for the rest of your life. Uh, I think, I mean, maybe it's personally, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I was like, okay, once I graduate, I, I'm good. And like, that's what I needed to know to be an adult, <laughs> yep. you know, and, or like to achieve your goals, uh, in general. Right. So I think, um, uh, and then I, I mean, uh, I am an engineer, so maybe I, I didn't go to that extreme. I always knew that there's more to learn, but, um, but I think that's just something that everybody is going to deal with, right? Like you always are going to need to 
unless you just want to stay stagnant and not do not do anything right uh then you right. you're, you're just living in your daily life you can learn new things so yeah and i i think some people feel that it's like high school college then you're done learning then you're you're supposed to just get a job try and rise up the ranks picket fence house mm-hmm. family but i'll just speak personally like that kind of linear way of thinking about life didn't really interest me like of course i'm i'm interested in like having a family someday or i'm interested in some of those things but to me this exact moment this exact moment that we're experiencing right now is the only moment that's guaranteed it's the only moment that we're guaranteed to be alive in and breathing and and noticing things and uh being conscious observers of our experience right so to me it's like i can't wait on some linear kind of factory line to rise up some ranks of a you know white collar company or whatever it is i have to like try and do what's most fulfilling to me in any given moment you know Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of why like i wanted to take risk and i wanted to shake things up and especially because i right now i don't have a family to support um i can take risk and i can fail and not have other people depend on me you know yeah i think that's that's like sort of two points that come to mind right is like one are you gonna live life to the fullest are you gonna do everything uh to your inner truth like are you gonna do what you want in this moment and it's not it doesn't come from a place of like selfishness right it just comes from a place of inner truth like this is my truth in this moment and i'm living in the present and i'm not gonna let any worry of the future uh sort of affect me right now and you know this is what i want and to be and it's difficult to be clear about what you want right some people just aren't clear about what they want and then they sort of fall into the rat race right and they fall into the into the um, just right because it's sort of like if you don't decide what you want society will decide for you so uh you know it's it's easy to fall into that and and especially as a guy i feel like we're, we're sort of raised to have certain responsibilities and um I think you can, you know, if you get married, uh, you sort of feel responsible for your wife. And then when you have kids, you feel responsible for them as well. Right. And so then you start uh, maybe not making decisions exactly from your inner truth. Right. But more so from a position of responsibility, um, which is is a noble thing. Right. But. But I feel like if you're going to uh, live a life of. Of, of meaning that you need to really come from your inner truth at all at all moments so yeah and, and so let me ask you this this is a question i've been tossing around for a while so like let's say you have a guy who he has like a regular job and he's like pretty content with like the regular job coming home maybe watching some nba drinking some beer and then going to sleep you know is it is his life inherently fine and content and great just because he's happy with what he knows in a sense or does everyone deserve the chance to sort of find new meeting find new experience Mm -hmm. and get out of their comfort zone which as an entrepreneur 
it's not easy. It's definitely really stressful. I, I might be a lot more content just being a teacher and having summer breaks and just kind of chilling out, you know? So what would yeah. you Yeah, I think uh, I can't say that I haven't contemplated that before, right? I think it definitely takes a certain person to want to be an entrepreneur to sort of go out of the norm. It's it's because it really isn't normal to be an entrepreneur, right? People right. feel like nowadays you get sort of flooded with it on Instagram and on different social medias. Of like, oh, everyone needs to be an entrepreneur, right? Like, it's not a normal thing. Um, yeah. And there's definitely difficulties and, and there's going to be moments where you're going to doubt yourself, right? But um, I think, uh, I think really the important thing is to, like I said, live your inner truth, right? Like if this guy that's going home uh, to his wife and kids and then watches some basketball if and, you know, during the day he works, you know, a normal nine to five job. Um, if that's what he truly on the inside is okay with, then I don't see a problem with that. Right. Like I'm not going right. to denigrate you. I'm not going to, uh, sense. you know, question you. Right. As, as long as it's truly is right. The thing is, it's difficult at times to, to, to delineate that, right? To to sort of from the outside looking in to see whether that's actually true. Um, so yeah, because if it's bringing him true joy and true contentment, then that's beautiful and that's great. But my, I think my fear, just speaking from my own life, is that it's kind of like you're familiar with Plato's cave. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of thing. So like my fear is not being not experiencing missing out on some of the true beauties of life if i stay too safe if i stay too close-minded if i'm like looking at the shadows in the cave right 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 so basically you're saying he's just not aware of what could be right and that that kind of scares me but there's mm -hmm. a tension in me between like adventuring mm -hmm. uh kind of getting out of my comfort zone at, or, you know, being more like content and safe, you know, right. it's kind of hard to know the path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's, there's a fine line, right? I think, uh, I was just talking about this the other day where I feel like the, the way you need to go is to live on the edge, right? So you don't want to live so comfortable to where you're, you know, you're okay all the time. Yeah. Uh, and you don't want to live, you know, so far off the edge that Too much risk. Right. Well, you know, risk is relative, but you can sort of get overwhelmed uh, and then, you know, put yourself in a bad position. Right. Um, and maybe bad is relative too, right. Maybe there's no good yeah. and there's no bad, but, but without getting too far off topics, like if you, I think the important thing is to make fear your best friend. Right. And yeah. then use it sort of as a signpost and uh, live just beyond what you're comfortable with. And as long as you're just beyond what you're comfortable with and you know you're going in the right direction and you know that, um, that, you're, that you're being true to yourself and that you're not, um, uh, you're, you're not falling short of what you could do, of what you could be. Absolutely. Yeah, I like the way you put that. I, it's kind of... Uh... You don't want to be like, I don't want to be like stressed out or worried all the time, but I think 
getting acquainted with fear is like getting acquainted with like the natural human condition. I mean, there's this, I guess the anxiety around death is what I'm referring to. Mm. And like trying to get acquainted with that is growing to be more at peace with that and being at peace with death. And I would think that would unlock more joy or unlock mm -hmm. more present. Yeah. I mean, sort of being aware of death is maybe a beautiful thing, right? It, it, if, if anything, it incentivizes you to live in the present and to be uh, aware of the fact that we have a limited time in this, on this planet and, you know, why waste it doing something that you don't necessarily want to be doing, or, you know, you, we get 80, maybe now a hundred years, uh, right. Which is a relatively a long time, maybe when you think about it, but also, you know, I don't know, the older you get, the faster time goes and, and, uh, you know, you lose weeks at a time and then you lose months at a time. Right. And, and, and if you're like at that nine to five job, not doing what you're passionate about, it's like, um, I think it, it, I feel like it all comes down to like, especially entrepreneurs, maybe that like focus a lot on money, you know, is another thing I've been thinking about. Yep. I feel like you need to focus on time more than anything. And like, you sometimes hear it here and there where it's like, you know, the millionaire mindset is like, oh, money, you know, but the billionaire mindset is like, what saves me time? Like, yeah, you know, living in that abundance mindset of like, okay, I'm going to outsource this stuff. Cause like, I'm not, I don't want to do it. I'm not good at it. Somebody else can do it better. And like, yeah, it's going to cost me. I'm going to make less money, but Hey, you know, I, I just saved myself time. four hours of, of doing something I don't want to be doing. Right. And so, uh, and in the end, if you're thinking abundance, then there's always more money. Right. So. I agree with abundance, but I want to push back a little bit on that framing of time. Sure. So I think we too often actually equate time to money. We kind of commoditize time. We say mm. stuff like saving time, spending time, mm. losing time. Like it's, it's commoditized. And I think Again, going back to the industrial revolution, like that started when people were trying to control how many, how much their workers worked, like make sure they worked 10 hours at the factory in a day. And that's when, you know, clocks started to really proliferate. You know, we, we started to really care about keeping time. Whereas like in the hunter gatherer times, they had no concept of this linear time moving forward and progressing to a more perfect future. Mm -hmm. They just like, they woke up with the sunrise. There was no past or future. There was only the present moment. I'm sure they had worries and stressors, but they were, they had no, they had no concept except to be in the moment. And then they were kind of moving through that. And so what I'm more interested is like deep time, which is like kind of a, like becoming a buzzword these days, maybe, but. I'm interested in tasks that like bring out the cosmos in my head, which mm -hmm. means that I want to do work that feels deeply gratifying to me. And also I feel like impacts the world in an almost spiritual way because, and I'll speak for myself. I, in the past have been always trying to, I was kind of someone who was always trying to be hyper-efficient, mm -hmm. save my time, quote unquote, for some point in the future where I give myself permission to relax. The problem is that point never comes, mm -hmm. right? 
you're and and you never you're not guaranteed that point in the future you could be dead so right. it never does come i don't think right, right? It, it never does like there's always another problem you need to solve there's always something else to do there's always you know or or it's like you know you you want to date a prettier girl or there, there's always something mm -hmm. more right or you could be healthier or whatever and so especially as a startup founder the action items are infinite there's no way i'm ever getting through my to-do list and it kind of freaks me out <laughs> but but if i view if i view my present moment as exactly that and then I say, okay, well, like, what's most meaningful for, for me to do right now? And then accept I'm never going to have, quote unquote, enough time. Then it's like, then it's like, okay, now I can start to come to peace with my current situation, right? So I agree that like time should be treated as valuable but not necessarily as like a commodity. Like mm -hmm. I agree with outsourcing different things that you don't want to do. Um, like I definitely agree with that. I would just like, I, I just, I'm really trying to figure out a way where I could be less about stressing about my free time and mm -hmm. stressing about the future and, and more like enjoying what I'm guaranteed right now, you know? Yeah, I think I've, I think we all want to do what we love, right? We all want to do something that we enjoy in the, in that present moment. And, yep. and, you know, it's something that's crossed my mind. Like maybe, you know, I was sort of raised on the idea of like, oh, you need to work hard. You need to, you know, push forward and, and, and in life and, and, um, put your best foot forward, which, you know, you know, from a certain point of view is, is good advice. Right. But you know, I sort of got to the point where it's like, I want to spend my time the way that I want to spend it, right? And the sure. way that I find valuable and the way that I find uh, gratifying and, and you know, can both help me and the world, um, you know? Uh, and it, I sort of got to the point where I was like, oh, am I being selfish, you know, like for wanting to do what I want to do? Uh, you know, and I, I've sort of come around on that right now and realizing that, you know, I'm doing, if anything, you know, you're doing the world in disservice by not doing what you're saying. Right. That. It, yeah. So, so, it, it, you know, you can't, or I, you know, I've, I've come to the conclusion, right. That like, it's not, it's not selfish. It's just, it's something that you, that you have to do. Um, and that is the world, the world would be a better place if everyone did that. Right. Yeah. Because also. If you're passionate about something, you're going to do it better than if you were doing something that you weren't passionate about, you know, mm -hmm. and ultimately that's going to be better for the world. If you're, you know, if you're a good person and your passion's going to help other people, you know, which they mm -hmm. will. So, but I don't know. I, yeah, I wanted to ask you like, sure. Cause I, I've been, I've been thinking about this lately. Like, do I really care? How much do I care about? being remembered after I die, you know, mm. because in the grand scheme and in, in deep time, like Steve Jobs isn't, isn't going to be remembered in a thousand years or like for 10,000 years, no one's going to be remembered. Who knows, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, so to what extent does that matter to you or does that, does that matter in general? Cause I'm not sure. Mm. 
I think gut feeling is that it doesn't matter, right? I feel like <laughs> um, I haven't put much thought into it. Uh, it's not a question that I've, I've asked myself recently, but um, but yeah, I think gut feeling is that it doesn't doesn't matter, right? Because if anything, you know, it's sort of an attachment to life, right? It's like, oh, yeah. I want the world to remember me because you you haven't accepted death. So yeah, um, it, and you know, it can put you in the position of I have to do something memorable rather than something, um, something that you want to be doing in the present moment. Right. Uh, so, and you know, it's a bit, I don't know, maybe a depressing thought, right. But like, you're going to be in the ground, you know, I don't know, you know, what happens after I'm not sure, but you know, uh, are you really going to sacrifice your short life for some pursuit of um, wanting to be remembered in a world that you're not going to live in. So, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to think about though, because especially in the entrepreneur space, people are trying to make as much money as possible, but also trying mm-hmm. to be like remembered, right. Or to try and have their names on buildings or endowment funds mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And Though I will say it's important, important, that's not important to me, but what is important to me is leaving the world a little bit better than, than it was when I got here. Now, obviously that's like, you can't really like quantify that. It's hard to know. And, um, like when I used to be a teacher, I, you know, every year I I think I profoundly impacted like at least a handful of students. Right. And so maybe they go on to change the world. Who knows? So it's, it's super hard to kind of tell your impact on the world, but I know for a fact that me, myself as a person, for me to be happy, like right now, I need to be having some sort of impact. Like I can't be, um, like I, I can't be like working at McDonald's or something mm-hmm. like that, because to me, that would be like a negative impact in the world. Now, mm-hmm. sure. I, I could, I could like have positive interactions with customers and i'm sure i could make someone's day better or something like that but like in the aggregate it's like to me it would be a negative impact right so that that's also like though i think i have a similar answer to you i'm not sure i don't think it really matters after you die but i do like right now like I, i do care about like making people's lives better and and part of that is like of my privilege and like me being born in an extremely lucky situation and you know, in a, in a good, like upper middle class household, um, in, in the U S the richest country in the history of the world, you know? So it's like, part of it is like, I feel it's like part of my privilege It hmm. necessarily as my privilege to like help other people make other people's lives better. Yeah. I don't think anybody would argue that, you know, that it isn't a noble pursuit. So, you know, as long as that's what you, you know, as long as it's coming from the right place, then. And I don't think, uh, and I don't, there's no way to see that in a negative, I don't think so. And, you know, and, and it sort of brings to the thought of like sort of the McDonald's worker, like you were saying, right? Like for the guy or, or, or woman, uh, that is in that position, like you can, you know, and it may be frustrated or something like that. You can, if, if that is one of your goals, right? If it, if you're one of your goals is, Hey, I want to make the world a better place. Like, Hey, you can make someone's day. And, uh, yeah. right. And it can, by no means I want, do I want to hate on those workers? I know you don't. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm just coming at it from a place of like, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people that are um, not wanting to do their jobs in the present right right now. Uh, yeah. And, right. They're sort of stuck in a job that they don't want to be doing. And so then, you know, you can sort of find those little things and sort of uh, still pursue those goals as uh, as you go along in, in your pursuit. But um, and that you can't dispute that they're, you know, a certain percentage, maybe the majority of people that don't necessarily want to do the job that they're trapped in or have to do, you know, and it's a privilege me quitting my job to do my quitting, quitting my regular job of teaching to, to be an entrepreneur. That's a privilege in itself that I was even able to do that. Part of the reason I could do that is because I didn't have student debt, you know, part of the reason was because I've bought a house and I don't have to pay like rent to anyone mm -hmm. else. There are like different reasons that I can do that. It's not some like noble, brave thing that I've done. A lot of it does come from privilege and different things like that and, and being lucky with my situation. But also it takes time and work to build that situation around you so that you're ready and prepared to like take a big risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, don't don't devalue it either because hey you you know you worked hard to buy that house you bought it with your hard earned money right so you know you positioned yourself to be able to do it so you know sure there were some circumstantial things that that put you in that position that others don't have but but you know yep yeah it's 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 a combination i suppose but sure um, but yeah so semi switching topics uh since uh i think you mentioned uh, living here in the U.S. Um, yeah, and I guess we we both happen to be uh, the the sons uh, of immigrants. Uh, yep. So, <laughs> it, has the thought ever come to maybe go back to where your parents are from and sort of help and or make a difference there? Out of curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. So, actually, part of what started me on my startup journey was exploring. So my parents are immigrants from India, and I was exploring Indian spiritual texts to try and get closer to my heritage and to learn more about my heritage. Because growing up in America, it's, it's been cool, it's been diverse, but, you know, I was too white for Indian people that I ran into, and then too Indian for, you know, uh, white and black people that I was hanging out with. So it was like, like I felt very in this sort of nebulous space where I didn't really have a concrete identity. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was interesting, but I wanted to get closer to my heritage. And it's really important to me to learn a lot about that and to figure out how like my heritage dictates how I act now and kind of the place of privilege or not privilege I am now, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's definitely important to me to return to India, at least for to live there for a significant amount of time. So I've been there like different vacations, weeks or months at a time, but I, I want to live there for a significant amount of time. And as a son of Im immigrants, kind of like get to know my roots, get to know the culture, the language, different things like that, mm -hmm. and kind of reconnect there. Um, but recently I've also been thinking like, I mean, there's nothing wrong that with being part of American culture and mm -hmm. 
having that unique culture yourself in a way. It doesn't mean you're like some sort of non-person or like someone drifting out in the wilderness. Uh, America has a pretty distinct culture as well. And it's, mm -hmm. of course, melting pot of a lot of different things. But yeah, I've, I've enjoyed my experience with American culture as well. Yeah, I think that's something that every first generation, uh, you know, uh, children of immigrants uh, have, you know, I definitely felt what you're saying, right? Um, you know, I'm, I was too Hispanic for, for the Americans and then maybe too American uh, in, for Hispanics, right? So, yeah, so yeah, I definitely have felt that. Uh, and I've maybe gone back and forth over the years of like what I've leaned, leaned more towards. Uh, right. And you could probably code switch to like, you probably know how to be in both groups, but. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely lean more towards one or the other, but, um, but, and you know, one other thing I'm not, I guess maybe it, it's not something that you notice is like, uh, and I think I'm run a study about it a while back is like, you know, people that speak, that grow up speaking multiple languages have multiple personalities, you know? I mean, oh, wow. I'm not saying you're bipolar. I'm not bipolar, right? <laughs> no, I know. I know. <laughs> but, uh, but I definitely, you know, like when I'm speaking English, I'm a little more German, you know, I'm a little more, you know, rigid and a little more organized. Yeah. yeah. Organized and, and, um, maybe less extroverted. I wouldn't say, I, I mean, I don't think, I don't consider myself an introverted person, but you know, less right. extroverted. And then when I'm speaking Spanish, I'm just all over the place, you know, like I am more expressive. Yeah, exactly. More expressive and, and loud. Uh, I'm always, when I have dinner, you know, I, I, I'm speaking Spanish. I always, someone always has to remind me, Hey, lower your voice. You know, like you're at a restaurant. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. I don't know why with Spanish, but like you just tend to speak louder for whatever reason. <laughs> so, and you can always spot the spent, uh, the Hispanic people at a restaurant because, uh, they, they take over a table for like five hours. Right. And, you know, it's like the idea of like a reservation from seven to eight 30 is like not a thing, right? Like you get there yeah. at eight or nine and then you just stay till they close. Right. But, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a bit different. Like, yeah. It, I've, I've been learning some Spanish and my personality in Spanish is that of a third grader. Cause that's not like, okay, last. <laughs> so I'm just like a very cute third grader in Spanish. Fair enough. That's not bad. That's not a bad thing. I mean, <laughs> all, all the girls will, 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 will like you, like, like that you try. So it's all good. Oh, right. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> Did your parents uh, teach you some, some, I don't know what they speak actually, because there's so many languages in India. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so yeah, as you know, there's like, there's over, I think 90 languages and dialects in India mm -hmm. and India is this like just such a diverse and vast country that was just kind of called a country by the British, by the colonizers, but it's really a, a place of many city states with the diversity of, of like a Europe. Right. And so my parents, um, when I was born here in Dallas, they didn't really see the need to teach me an Indian language because it's also like, what Indian language do you teach? So well, for example, yeah, so my each of my parents speak three or four Indian langu languages. Wow. And like, okay, so like my dad, he speaks Hindi, which is kind of the national, mm -hmm. uh, more well, more of a language of the North, but like it's one of the most prevalent languages. And then he speaks Kannada, which is the language of his state in the South. 
but he also speaks Konkani, which is like the ancestral language of our fishing town in the Southwest. And so it's like, what, which of those three languages would be really relevant to me? Now, I wish they would have taught me a language. I really right. do. And it's one of my goals in life to learn Hindi or to learn one mm -hmm. of the languages for sure. Right. Um, and that, that'll coincide with me whenever I live in India too. Yeah. But, I think, okay. Continue, continue. Yeah. Well, well, I was just going to say that like, even in India, English is a big connective sort of mm. tissue, uh, because of the British colonization, India is the one language or sorry, uh, English is the one language that's spoken, uh, all across India. So like even my parents, they grew up speaking a lot of English too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll root for you learning a language because I, I always say like when you, when you uh, like to really know a place, to really know a country, you have to speak the language. And like, yeah. it sort of goes back to what you're saying, to what I was saying about, you know, having different personalities in, in each, in each language, right? It's just like to understand the culture, you sort of have to speak the language, at least some of the language, right? Yeah. Um, it's so kind of I, the, uh, if you've heard of the Sapir Whorf hypothesis in anthropology. I have not. But it, it, it basically just posits that, in fact, language is culture. And mm. so, like, it's, for example, like the, the Inuits, like, of the Arctic and Alaska, mm -hmm. they have like 20, 25 words for snow, right? Mm, but this, yeah. maybe in Nahuatl or like, you know, Aztec languages, there's not even one word for snow, right? That's just one minor example, but like, yeah, language definitely dictates culture in a lot of ways. And I think now, you know, we live in such a globalized world. I mean, one, one goal that I've set for myself, you know, as Mike, you're saying you want to, you know, move back to, uh, or move to India for uh, an extended period yeah. of time is like, Personally, I would, I mean, I want to move to South America for a little bit. I mean, my family's from Central America, but I, right. I you know, there's some opportunities that I'm looking at in South America. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm sort of a lover of Europe. I, I uh, you know, I always wish I was, had grown up in Europe. Um, right. It's just a beautiful place with beautiful people. But um, uh, so I would definitely want to spend some time out there. And, you know, and I have thoughts of, I, I guess recently I've had a lot of thoughts of spending some time in, in Asia. So, I'm sort of the type of person that wants to spend their time in a lot of different places, right? And I think I've, I've sort of reached that point of like, hey, who says, you know, now in an age of airplanes and things like that and internet and Zoom meetings, like who says that we have to live in one place for the rest of our lives, right? And, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's one guy uh, that, that, I, that I quite, in, uh, quite enjoy some of his uh, content and uh, Andrew Henderson's um, another podcaster and he uh nice. he, you know he he's he has this setup where he talks about having three countries so or three or four countries i forget but you can basically move around between the three countries every year right. and then yeah it's it's it'd be rough like yeah. i don't i don't think i would want to move that much but uh i you know because i i really enjoy getting to know a place and you know getting a group of uh yeah. of intimate friends right but um but uh but yeah, and part of his intent is sort of never paying taxes, basically legally, uh, <laughs> legally, right? But but uh, he actually like renounced his U.S. citizenship. It's crazy. Um, but uh, so so I I've heard about like different um, you know it's almost it's kind of like 
in fashion right now to or, or like like the trend right now is to kind of like take a laptop work abroad mm. and live wherever you want and jump to different digital places. nomad yeah yeah and and that's a, attractive to me to an extent but on that idea i'd push back in the t- in terms of like so i heard like anecdotally people speak of it like this there was this one person who was doing this with their laptop and they were in like they're in Tokyo, Japan. They're in this beautiful like cherry blossom garden or something like that. And they saw like a family and and two toddlers playing, and they just broke down into tears because they had lost a sense of family, a sense of community. It was just one kind of experience after another. Mm-hmm. It was one place after another, and they weren't building community anywhere. So for me, it's really important to like build a community of, of, of positive impacts of learning from each other, of sharing, and also still experience other places. But I guess what I'm saying is to have like a home base mm-hmm. where you're building family, you're building community, um, you're kind of building some sort of spiritual uh, connection with mm-hmm. one place, which is hard to do if you're like going on a train to Europe and spending only like through Europe and not spending only like a few nights in one place. Mm-hmm. I, and I get that. I get exploring the world. But to me, you got to have like a, like a home base to come back to, you know? No, I, I agree completely. That's why I'm saying I wouldn't want to, you know, move around the that much. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, if you think about it, if you choose the same three places, you, you could potentially, you know, build, have, community in each. build, build the community in each, right? And that's just something I've been contemplating, right? But, but I, definitely I, like two places or two or three, I think splitting time and like, if you, yeah, I think it, then I think it's actually possible. Like, and I, and I like, so I like that idea. That's the first time I've been exposed to like that specific idea. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the sweet spot is more like two. Uh, if you could do, you know, and it doesn't have to be rigid six months here, six months there, but it's just like, Hey, you know, I have a house here. I have a house here. And and I spend yeah. my time between the two and I lo- I lo- and you know, you sort of get to experience uh living, quote unquote living in 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 both of those. Uh and you know, you can sprinkle in some other traveling if uh, you know, to wherever it is that you want to go, right? right? And those are those are more of the the uh, you know, three days here type of thing or two weeks, whatever you want to call it. Uh and that's just you know, that's that's just a regular vacation, right? So uh yeah. yeah. And and then you know, that's sort of one of my goals right but you need a certain amount of freedom to be able to do that right like you need to be able to just sure you need go to be financially the... secure exactly exactly Your so job needs to be one where permitted. you get liberated and right right yeah exactly which you know which is why sort of entrepreneurship uh is is part of my path right like that's that's the only thing that really i feel allows you to to have such freedom right so absolutely yeah and i think some aspects of like like when i was like teaching i did have the freedom to travel because of the big summer breaks mm. and parts of that i liked because i knew i could kind of turn off my brain and i'd still be getting paychecks mm-hmm. what's important as an entrepreneur is like giving yourself permission to relax because any moment is like a, a time where you could be getting work done mm-hmm. you know but as we talked about before there's like infinite action items right Right. So my thing about working abroad is like, I have to figure out like, 
okay, what's vacation time? What's work time? Mm. And me being a worrier, I can't just like let myself stress the entire time because anywhere I have my laptop is a place where I could potentially mm. work. And I'm a very driven person. Right. But I also like, I want to be able to enjoy life, you know? So you need to have like boundaries and like create like almost like categories. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's a difficult thing, right? You can, you can just work all day or you can not do anything at all all day, but, but I think, um, and you know, it sort of brings to mind a little bit of something I was listening to the other day, um, sort of like, you know, we have a set amount of dopamine, right. And you can only work so hard for so long. And like the idea of the five day work week is maybe not the best setup. Right. So it's like sort of you, you can be self-aware and be like, Hey, um, you know, my, uh, you know, I'm at a hundred percent today and let's do it. Let's, let's crush it. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah. You know, once you've gone down to 20%, it's like, okay, let's not hit zero. Let me, uh, let me take sure. a day off. And the good thing is that if that day happens to be a Wednesday, you can just do it. Right. You can do it. Exactly. So it's you really can. You just have to hold yourself accountable and make sure you don't do it too much, I guess. But, right. but it's, I, I love, um, I love how people are talking about self-care more. You know, mm-hmm. I love that people are talking about offering yourself grace more. I think that's like a good trend, if anything. Yeah, yeah. It all goes back to that, like being aware of your inner critic, right? Being aware that uh, you can sort of be very vicious to yourself. Uh, well, it, yeah. it brings me back to the uh, our whole time as a commodity conversation mm-hmm. because you can get trapped in this mode of thinking that like, okay, there's a five-day work week. If I don't work 10 hours Monday through Friday, I'm wasting time or losing time. Again, mm-hmm. you're, you're hearing these like commodity words or money-based right. words. And it's like, I mean, maybe you could do more things off of your list, maybe. Mm-hmm. But what's more important is if you get yourself self-care mm-hmm. and be mentally healthy because then you can help more people and mentally being mentally healthy is just inherently good not just Mm -hmm. good so you can help more people that's just inherently a good thing (laughs) yeah Yeah, definitely i mean i remember when you know when i was in grad school i just wanted to work 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 work, you know take as much advantage of 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 the time as i could and like I, i you know later after that um i realized maybe you know that was not the best uh the best way of doing it right and like I, I, I like i stopped going to the gym like that's not it's not good right and so then you know i was you know just i can't working. imagine you as uh as being fat ever <laughs> yeah well i don't think i'll ever have that issue my friend but uh right <laughs> but um but yeah i, I was, know what you would look like <laughs> i have to get one of those ai generated pictures and just uh, yeah put myself as, as fat um but uh but yeah i was so then i was working afterwards uh, just, you know, a regular job, I guess. And, um, I realized like, Hey, like the days that I work out, I'm so much more productive. Right. And it's like, you can think there of those go. days, you can think of those days or those hours of you working out as like a waste of time, or you can think of it as just regenerative, like sleep, right? Like working yeah. out is, is just as important um, as a lot of other things, uh, uh, the, you know, in your daily routine that can make you more productive in the hours that you do work, right? Because you can work 10 hours at, at 60% or you can work six hours at 100%. Right. And, uh, you know, it's all slightly relative, so. 
Yeah, and I and I think kind of on that note, and especially in the startup world, what I've noticed is a lot of the really successful entrepreneurs mm-hmm. love to tell stories about how oh I killed myself mm-hmm. working like all night, like they the did badge of honor. Yeah, they use it as like a badge of honor. But my theory, and it's consciously or subconsciously, they're saying this because they don't want to acknowledge how much luck and privilege mm-hmm. went into them being successful. For sure. For example, like I think it was Bill Gates who was born, you know, within a mile of two supercomputers, which was mm-hmm. extremely rare during that time. And like his parents had a license for him to go and use the computer somehow. And like there are all these lucky factors. Right. Of course, he's at, He's still a brilliant man. He still probably worked hard, of course, but like a lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs like to tell that story because it now it seems like, oh, they're just a really hardworking individual mm-hmm. and it, and it takes away the factors of like privilege and mm-hmm. luck, and all these other factors that go into it, you know? Yeah. It's a little like self-aggrandizing, you know, it's yeah, the rags, the riches story. Right, right. right. Yeah. But I mean, oh. When you get, and let's say you're in an interview, right? Like if someone asks you, uh, you know, what was that thing that made you get to where you are now? Like, what are they going to say? Oh, you know, I had privilege. No, they're not going to say that. Right. (laughs) Right. I was super lucky. It's compelling of a story. Exactly. Like, or like, I don't know. I'm assuming Bill Gates is pretty high IQ as well. So it's like, oh, you know, he also was just lucky to have been born. That's luck too. Right. 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 Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of nurture and, you know, his, his surroundings when he was growing up, maybe it's the combination. Right. But, um, um, you know, and, and it's not to say, you know, you know, I don't want any, anybody to think like, Hey, like, Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't born with a supercomputer a mile away from me. You know, I can't do anything. Right. You don't want that either. You don't want that thought of, yeah, that thought of, of, of just like being okay. Putting you, throwing your hands up and being like, okay, I can't do anything. Right. Like you, yeah. you, you take what you can and you work with it. Right. And, uh, right. you don't tell yourself any stories of I'm incapable or I, you know, I wasn't born lucky or, you know, you, you can't tell yourself stories like that. So then you're just limiting yourself. And, um, and, and yeah, it's, it's kind of like, so it would be a lot easier for me to make the NBA if I was like six ten, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm. Six one, which is also still lucky in terms of basketball, but now I'd have to work a lot harder to make the NBA. I still could make the NBA. There are people who are six mm-hmm. one. There are people who are five ten. There, there are lots of different types of people in the NBA, but it's kind of like you're you're born with your hand of cards, and then you, and then you kind of have to like, like what you said, work with what you got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but. But then again, it and that, but then it's still possible to make it to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this sort of makes me uh, think of something here. Like, I feel like we're all we all have these like societal agreements that we uh, just accept as truth, you know. And like, we're right. I mean, we're sort of raised to believe these uh, these agreements, um, and you know, part of the whole journey, right, is breaking loose of those agreements and realizing, hey, I can make make of life as I wish. Um, and so I guess I have a question for you is like, what's maybe one agreement that you think that that you that you had and that you broke through um, 
not, it doesn't have to be necessarily like in the process of Allo VR, but just yep. something that you, that you, um, that you went through as, as, uh, uh, you know, growing up or, or afterwards, you know, I, cause I, I do generally consider you a person that, um, that hasn't followed those norms. Right. So, so I was curious. Thank you. Great question. One, one thing that I think I've, I don't, so I don't know if, if, if this completely fits the term like agreement, mm-hmm. but don't get too attached to the, to the one word I chose. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one thing that's almost been radical for me mm-hmm. is not viewing love as just romantic love. Mm. So there can be friendship, love community love lots of different types of love and i think with that word we usually jump to like hollywood romantic love or mm-hmm. something. and part of this part of what got me thinking in a different way which eventually my feelings about community love eventually led me to to starting al of vr and help heal the community help bring more love to the community right mm-hmm. but anyway um, one thing that started me on this path was this book called All About Love, which it kind of sounds like a, a cheesy self-help book, but it's really many, kind of, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, it's All About Love by Bell Hooks and it's, she's like a, a feminist from the eighties and she's really interesting, but, um, the book itself is kind of a collection of her essays mm-hmm. on love and love's place in our current society. And like, where have we eroded love in our society? And I think this is especially important to talk about between two men, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, I, for a long time in my life, had trouble talking about my emotions and had, had trouble being vulnerable. And, th- and this was actually holding me back you know, because I wasn't able to, when I would have mental health challenges, I wasn't able to get the help I need, you know? So my goal, not as an entrepreneur, really just as a person is Mm -hmm. to kind of start the dialogues about love, start the dialogues about healing and like being vulnerable with each other and like how that can be masculine, that can Mm -hmm. be me to do that. Um, You know, we, we both come from like immigrant parents and there's that cliche about immigrant dads like they're a little like closed off <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i don't want to speak about speak on your dad but for my dad for sure and so um part of like the most important part of my journey here is be- becoming more comfortable with love and a love ethic um kind of practicing love um and i think in a way that's radical in our society, in a way that's rule breaking, in a way that's breaking the agreement or the norms of our society, uh, talking about love every day. Yeah. I love that you brought this up. Uh, I don't know. I've been thinking about not that ex- in that particular way, but I've definitely been thinking about love in general, uh, uh recently a lot because I feel like, yeah, the, and, and maybe, you know, maybe things have changed recently or, you know, I mean, uh, before, like, uh, I think two, two things, right? There's a certain importance of, you know, as men to being, being able to say, 
you know, uh, well, first of all, like if you hear somebody in, in common on the street, right. Say, I love you to another guy. You have to like add bro or add something. Oh, <laughs> right. Right. I was just, I was just talking about this with my old roommate. He was saying, um, and sorry to interject, but he was saying, uh, that it cheapens the, I love you. If you say bro <laughs> after, so now he's just like, I love you. And it's just like a song <laughs> after it. Yeah. Period. Yeah, yeah. 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 You can't say, I love you, man. I love you, bro. Anything like that. But uh, sorry, please keep going. No, no. Yeah. That's good. Uh, there's that movie, I Love You, Man. It's, it's a good one. Right. It's a really good one. But, um, but uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought there a little bit. Uh, oh, right. So then, um, you know, I think it's very important as as men to like realize like hey like your your male community is very important right and yeah there's like a sense of love between between you between those uh, and if anything sometimes you know it's easier to love your male friends right like it's not the same type of love as right. as as with with a woman right but um but if anything like it's uh, a different like an, a, a more detached in a good way type of love, right? Where you don't expect anything in return, right? You're just friends right. and, and you, and you know, you, okay, I, you know, really pure in that sense. Exactly. Right. And, and that's something that I've been sort of thinking about a lot. I was like, why I feel like that is a very masculine way of, of, or of loving. Right. And like, that's really how I think you should, love a woman as well right like you shouldn't yeah attach to that person and like and like shouldn't be dependent and all this stuff right yeah and if anything like uh, biologically and evolutionarily speaking uh you know women sort of do look for that right like they don't want a guy that's gonna like sort of change his way of being for them and things like that right, right? or like be needy and like attached and all this stuff so so if anything like it's it's I think it's like the, the the masculine way in general of loving it. Like the the more we can do it in all areas of our life, the the better it is, right? And the, the pure the the love is. So it's just something something I think about while I walk down the street. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know I agree. And uh, with this book that I mentioned, All About Love by Bell mm-hmm. Hooks, what I did the first time I read it, I was kind of like underlining stuff, annotating stuff. Yeah, and then. I gave it to a guy friend and I was like, Hey, check this out, annotate it, read it, write all over it if you like. And not everyone agrees with all aspects of the book, but I've started kind of a train, a train of people reading it and annotating it. Right mm-hmm. now there's like many conversations going on in the book and many debates and stuff. And the point is not for people to agree with that book or my thoughts in particular, but to just start the dialogue about emotions and love and healing and and like i know that sounds very hippie but i do think we can have a more like a more beautiful society if we're less closed off if we're less we have less anger inside then that Mm -hmm. that kind of helps all aspects of society you know no definitely i mean you know if we're if we all live life with a pure sense of love and, and, you know, pairing that with what we've been talking about, about like living your inner truth and doing what you genuinely want to be doing, um, and, and following your heart, uh, 
then it's inevitable that we'd create a better, better society, right? So. I would hope so. Yeah, absolutely. And just question for you, bringing it back to the evolutionary aspect between men and women. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a factor of like women wanting because of like, you know, human beings having like the nine month pregnancy term, different things like that, like women wanting to be protected and, and men being dependent on them in that way, if only to protect them in some way. And like, how do, how do gender roles now mm -hmm. conform to that now in, in like present day? Hmm. How do they still follow that is what you're saying? Yeah. Or do they, do they need to? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, if, if you think about like a caveman, right? Like I think if, if you're in a dangerous situation, like I don't think a woman wants you to take her opinion and, and to, <laughs> in that particular moment, it, to take her opinion it's like or, a life or death situation right yeah she just wants yeah, yeah. you to not think and like just act and solve the problem and you know get the family the baby to safety and all that stuff right yeah yeah so i think you know evolutionarily speaking i think that's that's uh where, where that comes from but you know in the modern day it's obviously um and you know i think it's part possibly of like where there are issues in in marriages and things like that uh yeah is is is, is um not being able to do that as a as a guy um but i do think it's important um to have that like polarity of masculine and feminine right um okay. you know like you know you you can go to work your wife can go to work and then uh you know maybe your wife has to be more masculine at work because it's a workplace right uh -huh. But then, you know, you come home and maybe <clears throat> the dynamic cha changes in that position. So, you know, I still think it's something that's necessary. You still have to have that polarity. Like even if, even if it's two guys or two girls, right? Like I feel like you need to have that sort of Some polarity. Sort of balance there. Right. Yeah. Like you need to have the masculine feminine polarity and, and, you know, everybody has masculine in them and feminine in them. Right. Like it's not necessarily like attached to your sex. Um, right. So I think it's just like recognizing what it is that you have in you and then um, uh, uh, making that work for you, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I, maybe I went off on a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> no, no, I, but, uh, this is why I asked. <laughs> I yeah, have yeah. an interesting opinion on it. Yeah. So I, I think there has to be one person that, that, sort of is it in that mindset of um uh, that masculine mindset of like you know I, I love you but i have to do this in life and like usually it's men where they're because we're more purpose-driven um mm. on you know on average so you know and maybe going back to the whole um doing what's your inner truth right like that that's important right like you can't uh, let that slide uh, because if you let that slide maybe you're uh, significant other then you know loses certain attraction for you right that that if you had you know that's what they fell in love it's like the typical like oh you know he's not the guy i fell in love with anymore right you right know, <laughs> you know like after 20 years because he's worked a, a job he hates and and like has uh, you know isn't because he generally isn't the guy that she fell in love with right so i think it's it's that's another important reason you need to do what uh, is important to you and what you think is the right path without letting anybody 
you know, not just your wife, but, or, you know, significant other without, uh, but just anybody, right? right? General, you can't let, yeah. yeah, you just can't let anybody influence, um, influence you. So, yeah. And that, I feel like that's equally applicable to everyone. I, I, well, I guess biologically speaking, uh, women may have more nurturing aspects mm-hmm. for sure, but like just in general, everyone has that inner passion or inner truth, um, that they can illuminate, you know, and, and that, that, that they can figure out. And for some women or some men that might be just being a great parent, who knows, maybe that's, you know, that's like the one thing that they were born to do, you know, or, or there might be multiple things and we live at, we're lucky to live in an age where you can pursue multiple interests. You can travel around the world. You can do different things. Um, right. Yeah. I think it's like, you can't, cause if anything, like it's an attachment, right? You can't get attached to some particular idea. So, you yeah. know, if you have to just, whatever works for you. Right. And, and yeah, like you're saying, whatever, you know, being a good parent, if that's, if that's your thing, then, then uh, do it to the fullest. Right. It's just all about living life to a hundred and not living life on neutral, you know, don't, don't, yeah. don't live it halfway. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, li- I like that. Just living it, I guess. Yeah. The whole cliche of living your life to the fullest. Yeah. Really does <laughs> have true merit. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like basically how I want to do things. So. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I think, uh, it's good to, good to end on a, on a note of love. So, uh, absolutely. Thank so, you uh, for sure. Well, um, it was good to have you on and, um, why don't you, you know, I, I don't know if you have, uh, uh, a way for people to reach out to you. So, and I'll, I'll put a link in the description, but, um, but yeah, you can, uh, yeah. really honored to, to be on. And, uh, if anyone wants to learn more about aloe VR, um, it's alovr.com. So a L o e v r dot com and then i kind of uh chronicle a little bit of my journey on instagram and that's allo underscore the dot so you want to keep following the journey or reach out and dialogue about love those are the ways awesome awesome thanks again thank you